Psalm 127 and 128 are psalms of ascent. Its companion psalm, Psalm 127, speaks of the blessedness of family and here in chapter 128 of the church, the family and the church, and how both entities are meant to bless each other. They're designed to be a blessing to each other. It's something that we call a symbiotic relationship. The psalm before you is divided in two parts, verses 1 through 4 and then 5 and 6. And you'll notice as you come to the psalm that at the very beginning we have the beatitude. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And then the second part begins with a benediction. The Lord bless you from Zion. The first part speaks of Lord's covenant blessing upon our households. And the second part then speaks of the Lord's covenant blessing upon the church. And what glorious entities they are. And so, very easily then we divide the text And this evening, our first head will be the Lord's covenant blessings upon our households. The Lord's covenant blessing on our households. As we have read this beautiful psalm together, you can't help but notice the repeated emphasis on the word blessing. Blessing. In Hebrew, it's not all the same word, but it's the same family of words which speak of blessing or favor or well-being. And notice that these blessings are experienced then in the creation ordinances of work and marriage. And what the psalmist is doing here is, as it were, bring us back to Genesis 1 and God's creation of man and his wife and his purpose for them to have dominion and to multiply and fill the earth and be his image bearers. Now, it's not that the psalmist wants to leave out those who are singled in the church or those who are unmarried or the widowed or the divorced. No, he is describing here the norm. For God's image bearers, particularly then in the realm of marriage. In verse 2, we have God's covenant blessings to a man who is a husband and a father. To everyone of verse 1, then, or the everyone of verse 1 becomes specific in verses 2. And then in verse 3, this man has a wife and children. And God promises to bless his vocation and and he will receive a reward for his faithful labors. God will make him profitable so that he'll earn and that he'll be fruitful. It will go well with this man, the psalmist says. It will go well with him and he will, the Lord will make his work satisfying. And really what we have is the words of the wise man in Ecclesiastes 2. 
verse 24 and 25. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And so right off, as you look at these verses, you see here that this is not Mr. Mum. No, he is the provider for his wife and for his children. He's the one whom God has appointed with particular duties so that he might be a blessing to his wife and to his children, and God rewards him for it. This man experiences blessings, not only in his labors, but in his marriage. He is blessed with this amazing woman who is described with a simile. She will be a fruitful vine within his house. And you know, Psalm 104 that we looked at last time, it tells us that God gives wine to gladden the hearts of men, just like the blessings that this man receives in his wife. These are good gifts from the Lord. And she then makes his home like a little paradise, a sanctuary. It's filled with peace and tranquility, a refuge for her husband and for her children from the world outside. The home is her sphere of responsibility. Now, this is not to say, of course, that a wife cannot work outside the home, but her primary place of influence is in the home to complement her husband and provide a pleasant habitat for the family. And part of her fruitfulness, then, as the Scriptures point out so clearly, is seen in her having children. Now, it is the most grievous thing these days when you hear of young people, married young couples who despise children, who have no desire to have children or to build a family. I spoke with a man just last week, and He told me how saddened he was that all his adult children, five of them, have no desire to have children. Married, but no children. And childbearing itself is often despised in our culture. But the Bible places great honor on childbearing. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Timothy She, the woman, will be saved through childbearing if they continue, he says, in the faith and love and holiness with self-control. And then the psalmist uses another agricultural simile here, describe the blessings of God upon this man and his wife in terms of children. He says, the children will be like olive shoots around your table. And so you get the picture. It's very clear. The children will be like their father. They'll grow up olive shoots from the mature tree, growing up, springing forth. A family of fruitfulness, of 
spiritual prosperity, a blessing for the present and a blessing for the future. And so it's the father and his wife, the husband rather, and his wife surrounded by all these children around the dinner table, enjoying, enjoying food and fellowship and wine that the father has been able to provide for his family by God's grace and blessing upon them. And so that is the scene. And what a glorious picture. What a glorious picture. Now the question is, why is this such a glorious picture? And God gives us the answer. The answer is that God's covenant blessings are being poured out upon this man and then falling upon his spouse and upon his children. He is their representative head and God's blessings falls upon this man and then his family. Now what does it mean when Scripture speaks of covenant blessings? Well, it's an important word, both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. Remember how the patriarchs blessed their sons while they're on their deathbed. How Moses blesses the 12 tribes of Israel before he departs from this scene. Blessing is a covenant word that is paired with another important covenant word. And that other word is cursing. And so in Scripture, you'll see blessing and cursing. To be blessed by God is to have Him remove the covenant curse that has fallen upon man because of Adam's sin. And so as you look at Psalm 128 then, and you look at your own life and the world around you, you might say to yourself, Psalm 128 looks much more like Genesis 1 and 2 than Genesis 3. And that's true. And the reason, the reason for that is that God has removed the covenant curse. And instead of cursing now, He brings blessing. And how did he do it? By sending the righteous man to stay with the Psalms. He brought the righteous man of Psalm 1, of Psalm 112, this righteous man of 128, the Son of God into the world to save sinners so that he might bear the curse. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking of in Galatians 3 as he speaks of the blessing and the curse and how Christ reverses the curse resulting in blessing for his people. Galatians 3 verse 13, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive 
the promised spirit through faith. And so the psalmist here, he understands the glorious provision of God for the church, our Lord Jesus Christ. He understands that Christ will be sent and now has been sent, resulting in the reversing of the curse for God's people. Or to say it very succinctly, we see here that grace restores nature. It brings us back to the blessings that God has always intended for us in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And dear friends, if this is true in the Old Covenant, how much more in the New Covenant? This glorious picture of Psalm 128 is not just pie in the sky. It's not that it's not obtainable. No, it can be our experience. So how can it be our experience? This is, after all, what we desire as the people of God, don't we? Isn't this exactly what we want? So how might we achieve this? Well, it's not, as you might think, actually. It's not by seeking after these blessings of work and wife and children. Yes, people want a good marriage. They want a happy marriage. They want a happy home. They want godly children. But that's not what the text tells us. That is not the how to receive the blessing. Rather, part one begins with the answer. Verse one, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, Yahweh. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That's the answer. It is for those who fear the Lord, those who seek after the Lord. And this fear of the Lord that the psalmist is speaking of is not this cringing terror. No, not at all. God fears are those who have an intimate knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. They've become lovers of God and they want to serve God. They want to give their lives. They want to be vessels for God's service. And so to fear God is to have this overwhelming sense, this overwhelming awe of privilege of being known by Him. That He has brought us into the covenant of grace and it is there then that he blesses his people. It is to know that this God who is so holy, so transcendent as we spoke of this morning is also the God who's drawn near to us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. The one who loves us with an everlasting love. The one who's drawn us with cords of steadfast love. The one who gave his son for me. The one who loves me so much more than I love him. And the one who loves my children, my grandchildren, so much more than we love our children and our grandchildren. 
And so by faith, the psalmist is saying, by faith in his son, I follow in his precepts. Because I want the increased assurance of his steadfast love. That's the fear of the Lord. Isaac Watts puts it so well in the song we all know, Amazing Grace. The second stanza he says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." This is the fear of God. And so you fathers, you young men, this ought to be the chief characteristic of your life. That you are God-fearers. And that your continued and increasing prayer would be, grant me more grace, O God, to fear you. To fear you. And you young women... This is the number one thing you must seek after in your future spouse. Yes, he must be able to provide. He must be attractive to you. He needs to be romantic and all the rest. But the chief characteristic is that this man fears the Lord. Fears the Lord. And as fathers then, as fathers in our midst, you must swear to your children that you will never ever give your daughter to anyone who does not exhibit the fear of the Lord in their lives. This is how the church will prosper, as we'll see in a moment, and grow and be blessed. This is God's design for his church and for you, the families of the church, for you men, for you, your wives and your little ones. And so the Lord's covenant blessing upon our households. But second, the Lord's covenant blessing upon the church. Psalm 128 does not end after verse 4. But if you read it, it sure sounds like it could end. But the psalmist continues with the second paragraph in which he shows this relationship between the family and the church, between home and the Scion of God. From where will you receive blessing? That's the question that's implied. And verse 5 answers that. The Lord will bless you from Zion. Verse 4, blessed, behold, though, uh, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Reiterates verse 1. And then verse 5, the Lord bless you from Zion. The question is, how will you receive the blessing of God that he has promised? It's as you fear the Lord, and then, very practically, it's the blessing that comes to you from Zion. Now, what's Zion? It's Jerusalem. 
It's the royal city. It's the place that David captured from the Jebusites. But it's not just the city of David. Zion is the place where the temple was located. It is the place where God met with his people. It's the place where all the males would go up to three times a year to worship their God and to pay him their due. And the psalmist understood then that the only place, as we studied this morning in our Sunday school, the only place to experience the blessings, the covenant blessings of Almighty God is as we're in the presence of God. In the presence of God. Which is in Zion, where the place was the place where the people of Israel would worship corporately. As all Israel made their way to Jerusalem to assemble for worship, they understood that God's blessing was communicated to them through those ordinances that he had designed and that Moses wrote down for us in the Pentateuch. And as we move from the Old Covenant to New Covenant, we have the same picture. But now, Zion is not located below. Zion is above, not on earth, but in heaven As the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 22, in worship, he says, you come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so Zion is the name of the new covenant church of Jesus Christ as we read it in Revelation 14, verse 1. And as we saw this morning, as we worship God, we are brought up by the Spirit to Mount Zion into the presence of God in the presence of Christ Jesus, our mediator, whose blood speaks a better thing than that of Abel, the writer tells us. And it is here then in corporate worship that we taste the heavenly gift, that we share in the Holy Spirit, in the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. It is here that the Spirit so powerfully works through the means of grace, through God's means of grace as he comes to bless his people. And it's recognizing then that it is in the church that God, by his Spirit, communicates Christ's blessing to us. For the church is the nurture of God's elect. It's the church that Christ has given officers, pastors, and elders, and deacons for the perfecting of the saints, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. And it's through the ordinances, as our confession so beautifully teaches us through word and prayer and the sacraments, the means of grace that God supremely blesses his people. Because Christ is here by His Spirit. He is here. He's the one who called you to worship this evening. He is our worship leader. He's our preacher. And He's the one who blesses you, gives you the benediction by His Spirit. 
And so it is here in this place, in Zion, Mount Zion, that blessings come. And that's why you see Israel went up to Zion, to Jerusalem, because they knew that that's where God would concentrate his blessing upon his people. Now, would they receive blessings back in their town, in their sanctuary? Of course. God's so gracious. He's so kind and he blesses. But he has promised that the greatest blessings would be attended under the means that he has given to the church. But there's a second thing that we see here in verses 5 and 6. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children peace upon Israel. And so what we have here is not only the church bringing blessing to the, blessings to the families of God, but our families are a blessing to the church. And this is this symbiotic relationship that I spoke of earlier. For a number of years, I had a saltwater aquarium. And in that aquarium, I had a clownfish and an anemone. And they were friends, but they were better than friends. There was this symbiotic relationship between the two. The anemone would host the fish. It would protect the fish and provide refuge from predators. And the fish, the, the clownfish would feel secure with and around this anemone so that they would lay their eggs within the proximity of this anemone. And the fish, what would it do? It would pride, provide food for the anemone. And it's amazing. It's amazing how sacrificial this or these clownfish are. Before they would eat themselves, they would take the food, seaweed or whatever you would give them, and they would bring it to the anemone so that the enemy, an anemone could eat. And the scriptures teach us that God has so wonderfully created this symbiotic relationship between the family and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous man, verse 5a, the righteous man seeks the well-being of the church. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. The words Jerusalem and Israel like Zion, are alternate names for the church. And the righteous man and his family then, they long to see the prosperity of the church. They live, as it were, so that the church might be blessed and prosper. And as they come to receive the blessings of the Lord each Lord's day, the pilgrims are not independent, autonomous individuals. No, there's no such thing in the mind of 
the psalmist that we can do such things as live stream worship services. No, their very lives are bound up with Zion. And their hope for the blessing is bound up in the good of Zion and in the fellowship of the people of God in the church. The righteous man loves the church and the righteous man seeks the prosperity of the church. Now how is it then that he seeks and lives towards the prosperity of the church? How does he see and desire and work towards the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of his life? Well, verse 6 tells us, may you see your children's children. You see? It's through our covenant seed, the generations that come from us, that the church will grow and continue to grow and prosper. And if you think about it, isn't this exactly what our heart's desire is? We desire to worship God for He is worthy. But we die, we pass away, our lives are, 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 are 70, 80 years and we pass away. So how can we give our due to God? The, the ground does not praise God, the psalmist says. Sheol is silent. Ah, oh, God has designed a way. The next generation rises up after us and blesses our God. And they continue then throughout the generations until Christ Jesus comes. It's the generations that will bless the church and they'll continue to grow and multiply and prosper. And you see, this was God's design from the very beginning. This was God's design that Adam and Eve would populate the earth with all these olive shoots. That they would grow up like their parents, delighting in the presence of God and walking in His ways. And now after the fall, God's design has not changed. He wants us to claim His covenant promises that He will be a God to us and to our seed after us so that the generations after us might bless Him. And worship him all their days. You see, the church's growth is covenantal. Yes, there are others who are brought into the church by God's grace. And then they just follow in the stream of covenant growth. And this is this symbiotic relationship of interdependence that God has ordained in his word. Your home in fellowship with the church, will be the nursery, the seminary for the church so that in time, our children, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 61, may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You see then how all of us are involved in this great and holy task. 
All of us. The fullness of the restoration of Christ that he has brought about is seen in the church. And you see this in the life of Christ, for instance. He was single. He wasn't married. And yet, he is married to the bride. His bride, the church. And that's how all then, all participants within the fellowship of God's people, how they all then fulfill God's purpose as married ones, as singles, as children, as grandchildren, with or without children. The church's children are all our children. We nurture them as God nurtures us. And so, dear people of God, make the church your highest priority. Be passionate for the beauty and for the glory and for the peace of Jerusalem as the psalmist instructs us so that Christ Jesus might be exalted in all the earth. Husbands and wives, be committed to your marriage. Parents, grandparents, and all God's people be committed to the nurture of God's covenant children. Pray regularly for your children, with your children. Live sacrificially so that your children, by God's grace, are children who are blessed, fearing the Lord, following you, so that Isaiah says, prophesies they too might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord in this place. And for those of our children who do not yet fear the Lord, this psalm gives great hope. We continue to labor in prayer. We continue to labor that they too may come to fear the Lord, to serve Him, to delight in Him, to enjoy the prosperity of Jerusalem. And as is plainly seen in our text, this is God's desire for the families of the church. And thus we ought never to cease praying for those who do not yet fear the Lord from among us. We always have hope, and we pray in hope in the covenant mercies of our gracious God and our loving Father. We pray that Christ Jesus, by His Spirit, would make them fear the Lord like He did for us. This psalm, like all the psalms, speaks about the Lord's blessing in a way that makes clear that what we are doing in worship each Lord's Day is not just empty ritual or ceremony. No, it's the Lord's blessing upon those who fear Him. The well-doing and doing well, the psalmist says, are interdependent, just like the family and the church. And so we pray and we labor in faith with the grace of Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit for the prosperity of Jerusalem. 
all the days of our lives, that we would see our children's children walk in the ways of the Lord. As the Apostle Paul, John, so succinctly put it, of no greater joy than to see my children walk in the ways of the Lord. Peace be upon Zion. Amen. Oh, dear Father, we bless you and we praise your name. That you're such a great God who has so wonderfully communicated to us. That you're a God full of blessing. That you communicate to us where we might enjoy the or where we might receive the blessing in your presence, which is fullness of life. And it is here then that you make us God fears, so that we might delight in you and enjoy all that you are for us in Christ. Oh God, it is through the word read, preached, sung, and tasted that we have Christ Jesus. And in him we have life, and that abundantly. And by your spirit then, it is in this place, through the ordinances that you have ordained, that we would grow in grace and be nurtured in the faith, we and our children. And so we pray tonight, Lord, that you would bless this congregation. That they might know the prosperity of Zion. That they might know the beautiful relationship between the families and the church of the Lord Jesus. And that they might give themselves for their families as husbands and wives for their children and husband and as families for the church, loving her, praying for her, and blessing her. Oh God, we again thank you for your design. And we thank you for the clarity with which you teach us. And so we pray, Lord, tonight that you would continue to give us of your grace so that we might live our lives faithfully before you in this wicked and perverse generation, but that the world might see that there's a good thing going on here. They might inquire and see the marvels of your grace in each home and in this place of worship, all to the glory of your exalted name. Amen. Congregation, let us respond this evening singing together Selection 128, Psalm 128a. How blessed all who fear the Lord. Let's rise as we respond. Psalm 128, Selection A.
body of the church, the Lord Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We have no good announcements. We want to thank you again, Reverend Matt Knight, for 